Hey, it's been a minute. I missed uh, African American History Month. Welcome to another episode of It's Always Personal. My name is Wood. Man, it's getting warm. I'm getting back outside. Getting back to my uh, kind of my my ideal cycling schedule and whatnot. So I'm a happy man. I'm a happy man. Look, I got a great guest today on this episode. I was kind of waiting around until I could link up with her. Her name is Kaylee Reese. Kaylee K.O. Reese. She recently starred in a an award-winning film by the name of Catch the Fair One. She is a unified junior welterweight boxing champion. On she she's fought on she her last fight was on the DAZN app. The DAZN app D-A-Z-N. And she holds two of four titles in her weight division. Try to keep it straightforward. Uh, the other lady, the other female that she's going to face is named Chantel Cameron. She's from the UK. She has the other two of the four total belts in their division. She's 140 pounds. And now they're going to face each other for an undisputed championship bout. After both of them beat their uh, their after they were both victorious in their last bouts where there were three title holders and then one title was vacant after those fights uh, these are the last two who hold two belts each and then they're going to meet up for an undisputed bout which in layman's terms of people that follow other sports that's basically the the ideal way to uh, for boxing to work towards its its biggest fights, if not its super fights. But women's boxing has had a bit of a resurgence and it's been supported by the DAZN app. And um, previously, Reese was also a middleweight champion in like a previous lifetime, <laughs> uh, but she's been at it fourteen years. And just in the last several, there has been more opportunity for women boxers. And like I said, the zone has kind of been spearheading that uh, that development. So we'll get all into it with uh, with Kaylee Reese. Grateful for her time uh, with me talking about entertainment as well as sports and uh, and specifically boxing on bitedownboxing.com uh you know i wanted to talk to her so uh and i did do a review of the movie catch the fair one i did that on my pay me no mind channel weeks ago i drove down to columbus ohio that was the only place that was showing it uh near me maybe even in ohio i put that together from her Instagram post that had like the 30 locations across the nation that were showing it. So I went and checked it out. Uh, you know, tried to do a little promo on my bite down boxing Instagram page. And, uh, you know, I went and checked it out, came back and did the review. I like the movie and I'm a harsh critic. I am a harsh critic, which I told her, I don't have no problem tearing somebody's 
album or a movie or a TV series up. I don't give a damn. I'm not about wasting people's time. So um, get into that on the back end. I'm going to try to keep this relatively short up front. Some intro topics. Um, what else did I want to say? Hey, you know, however you can support the, chan- uh, the, the, the channel. However you can support the podcast, I'd appreciate it. It's on Apple Podcasts, it's on Google Play, it's on Anchor, uh, and it's Spotify. Um, Apple Podcasts, if you could leave a review, that's like platinum level. Uh, If you could just subscribe, that's awesome. If you could just hit the rating, leave a four or five star rating, you know, that's gold level subscribing to the podcast if you can on whatever platform you listen to podcasts you know that's i don't know silver slash gold is helping me out uh you can always get in touch with me if you want to make any suggestions or anything you can do that on instagram at waterbed underscore reg reg or you could email me pay me no mind show at gmail.com let me get on out of here because nobody listens to any of that anyway i'm thinking about recording that part so i could just hit it i mean hit a play and nobody has to sense and pick up on the or yeah pick up on the uh the desperation in my voice the down the crestfallen uh energy coming out of me as i run through that little bit of housekeeping and I'll get into why I say that here just in, in a second. Uh, I think that's pretty much it. All I wanted to start with. Yeah, these these first few topics, I got an observation about this high school basketball player named Emmanuel Hansel. One-armed kid. He only has like down to maybe the middle of his bicep on his left arm. High school basketball player. One-armed kid who had, who was recently, maybe when I took this break, this this unplanned break from this J. Cole added, it really crystallized some stuff for me and had me uh you know feeling sorry for myself and and, and something some comments that I've made before here on It's Always Personal. I do want to make a quick thoughts on game theory, Bomani Jones's new uh series, new sports comedy show that just had his first episode air on HBO this past Sunday night. Uh just a couple things there. And then I got to revisit something with my good friend Jason Whitlock. Uh I was I had I was going to do this episode a while back when I took the break and when I, I think I might even mention that I was going to try to reach out to Kelly Reese, Kaylee Reese. And, uh, you know, it was all going to come out together and, uh, you know, it makes no sense as an indie podcaster in podcaster. It nearly makes no sense to try to plan your episodes and plan guests. If they have any, if they have any type of, uh, if they're renowned, you know, to the slightest degree, to the nth degree, uh, you know, you just, you can spin your wheels. But I'm not going to go into everything that I wanted to say about Jason Whitlock, but I had to hit on this uh, when it comes to the NFL. I would have done two NFL episodes kind of back to back. Again, I don't get any feedback 
I don't think I'm saying anything that's like groundbreaking or revolutionary or anything. But, you know, I don't get any feedback. So I don't know if, I don't know where people are when you try to point out basic stuff. But this stuff that I'm getting ready to talk about with Jason Whitlock, uh, I'm going to keep it short and sweet. I'm going to keep it short and sweet. Uh, when, I, when I had a real down moment for myself and like, why do I take up my time doing this always personal? And I apologize in advance if this is inappropriate for an indie podcaster to, to, to get really moist briefly. But if you can follow me, this Emmanuel Hansel kid, this video that I saw about a month and a half ago, uh, it's, it's like a, a J. Cole voiceover And it's just Emmanuel uh, Hansel Just dribbling the ball Sweating in a gym uh, Just staring into the camera Just looking really defiant And you know him against all odds and, and him doing the impossible He's a conqueror You know no excuses Nobody cares Work harder All that type of All those uh, All that uh similar mantras and j cole is just like be audacious be a dreamer be bold etc 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 uh what i'm saying is it just crystallized for me how unique of a situation you have to be persevering in or coming out of or how do how exceptional you have to be at whatever you're trying to do to be noticed by someone uh that could actually by an influencer someone who could snap their finger and change your world snap your finger and change your world again i've been doing podcasts since 2015 2016 this is really not me a, a matter of me crying as much as i'm just thinking out loud uh, before everybody got involved, all the big name people got involved and stopped laughing at podcasts. Uh, an average person used to be able to do 250, 700, maybe even 1,200 plays or uh, downloads, listen, however you want to put it. You used to could do it. Now, like I said, everybody who had a, who had a social media account or a Facebook page and the people who liked to actually get their thoughts out there more than others they're all doing podcasts now so there is nobody to listen to none of this shit unless you are somebody and you know if you can figure it out and work your thing you can work your thing and, and, and maybe you can crack through but it's extremely difficult and you know and it, I, I say this to say I'm not I must not be exceptional And I'm getting ready to speak When I get into this Jason Whitlock stuff I figured out why You know I can't It's going to be difficult for me I figured out one thing And I'll get to that But yeah You got to be out here Doing something That most normal people can't do but you have to have some kind Damn he ripped the shit out of him in this basketball game But you gotta be able to uh, You gotta have some Significant handicap And you gotta overcome it And and somebody may notice you That, that, can, that can vouch for you 
and help you cross over. So what Emmanuel Hansel has done now after uh, becoming this this uh, sensation, this high school sensation on this SI.com article that's out there, he's actually been offered a D1 scholarship by Memphis, where Penny Hardaway is. They've offered him a scholarship as well as Tennessee State and Bethune-Cookman in Florida. Um, Emmanuel is a combo guard at Life Christian Academy in Kissimmee, Florida. I believe he's uh, Latino or, or somewhere from. I think his family is somewhere in South America or something. He is six foot four and has just one arm. He has averaged twenty point twenty five point nine points, eleven point zero rebound, and with one hand, six point nine assists. That's impressive to to come off the dribble and pass. You know, pass the rock. And get seven assists per game. Uh, and then this kills me. 3.4 blocks per game this season. So, um, yeah, he's doing something ex- uh, something ex- exceptional that a lot of uh a lot of normal I tell you, I didn't make I didn't make my I didn't make my conference team. I didn't make honorable mention, you know. Shit, I'm too I'm too armed, full, you know, fully able. <laughs> you know, now I'm only five nine and some change, but you know, I, I could have used six four. But uh actually there's a quick little I didn't realize this, but I was wondering with his as low as his arm does go, like I told you, it's kind of in the middle of his bicep, his left bicep. But it says here in this SI article that at age six he had his left arm amputated. Oh yeah, I do remember this. I do remember this. After a wall collapsed on it, trapping him under the rubble for close to two hours. I do remember that. Emmanuel already has a one already a 1.2 million name, image, and likeness evaluation. He has 1.2 million followers on Instagram and 2.4 million followers on TikTok. That's, you gotta kill some shit on, on if you can kill those. Like I said, I have bite down boxing. At Bite Down Boxing on Instagram, I couldn't give my boxing commentary away. I can't even share the a, a schedule of upcoming fights and get a, a comment on the shit. Like you gotta hustle that shit. You gotta work it. You gotta be exceptional for somebody to notice you. Or you gotta do what Jason Whitlock does. And maybe to a degree what Bomani Jones does. To a degree So that's all I'm gonna say man I, I, I don't think I'm gonna get it done y'all I don't think I'm gonna get it done In terms of, of, of breaking through I don't think I have Enough uh, Living left I don't, I, don't I, I, I think I'm gonna run out of time I think I'm gonna run out of time But I'm I'm, I'm, I'm content with that Like I told you I could sell you I, I don't know. Anyway Um Game Theory, new show from uh, from HBO. I just read a little uh, feature. It might have been on general. It might have been on GQ. I think online, and um, it was talking about the show. I've mentioned it before that Bomani Jones was headed to HBO, leaving ESPN. Uh, if you go to a site like Outkick.com, they give Bomani Jones zero credit, and will quickly and boldly tell you on there. He's ruined or way squandered every TV show that they've put him on. And, you 
know, it might be an ounce of truth to that. I've told you what my differences are. Just as, as recently as two episodes ago, I told you what my issues are with Bomani Jones. I have no reason to hate on that brother because he's killing it. He put in the work. I think he came along at a certain time when it was all getting started. And I think he I think he was just exceptional. He is a smart, a bright dude. And he's willing to play the game that Whitlock plays to it in a different, you know, he does it differently, but it's, it's still kind of there. But anyway, you know, he's parlayed everything that he's done to this, this HBO moment. Um, all I can, I'm, I'm not even going to give you my full critique on it. That's, that's, you know, my opinion really doesn't matter. I just thought the transitions were a little bit weird. Uh, now, yeah, I thought the transitions between topics and, and, and like the the graphics on the screen, I thought it I thought it was it was something that was just off. But I'm guessing that it's intentional because he's trying to break away from the ESPN, Fox Sports, that whole uh, rundown that they put on the screen and the typical transitions that they have. I think it's kind of trying to tell you that this is something different. Some other things are uh, James, comedian James Davis, a brother that I really like his, his work. Uh, he's part of the writing team. The show is is, is uh, recorded or filmed, shot in New York. Uh, the, the, it, it opens with him at a desk doing like uh, some spiced up sports stories, you know, a, a rundown on sports stories. I'm sure to get over into uh, entertainment and, you know, music and, and, and everything else in, in due time. Stephen A. was his first guest, by the way. They, you, they, so he gets into the, the opening, you know, rundown. But the thing is now, comedy, his jokes are written. Whether he's writing them or his writing team, now it's like full-on comedy. Along with that, he's also... It's, 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 it's adult you know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's adult uh, rated. It's uh, profanity now. So he can cuss. He drop, you know, he says shit. Drops an MF here and there. Uh, something, you know, it, it's for adults. So I just said it's profanity. And then, you know, he it, it is Bomani. So he has to do his anti-whiteness thing. I don't, And I don't even know if that's a cool label for it. He gets after white people. Okay. Um, that's his that's his thing and hey I don't even have an opinion on it I don't know if I'll be a big time because I don't watch much on HBO to be honest with you um, I watch a couple of series here and there I just did a review on Raised by Wolves too, which I watch on HBO Max which I allowed to uh, bewilder me with whatever that shit that's, that show is about but um, so I don't know. I don't. I don't have regular HBO, so it's not like I can just turn to HBO on Sunday nights and check it out. And, you know, I'll I'll, I'll 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 keep an eye open for it. Uh, another thing about HBO, the shop from LeBron James and Maverick Carter, uh, it's no longer on HBO or HBO Max. It has moved over to their uninterrupted YouTube channel. See how I show all these love, all this love to other people. See, I'm out here working for other people. That's how sad this shit is. Um, but yeah, you know, he gets in everything that he wanted to ever has ever wanted to say about uh, white sports figures and, and and whatever, whatever. You know, that's a part of the show. 
and he uses uh you know he uses this first episode it drops at the time when coach k is walking away is hanging him up and he has a segment at the in this one about uh you know duke basketball beat all of the black all of the teams that black people universally loved or unconditionally loved back in the day duke beat them with unathletic I don't know if he said creamy, you know, all, all the typical shit. Um, I'm not going to say, get your jokes off all you want. Um, I, I guess I'm just at a certain age and I live a certain reality in terms of, of, of my, my real, my real job. And, and, and what I, what I see in, in my, in my workplace and, and all of my, in most of my workplaces, And you see what goes on on in the in the, in the you see what the joke the com, the constant jokes are with Jamel Hill. She's another one. Um, Joy Reid, uh, Tiffany. You see all the shots they fire, but then in the real world, for ninety nine point nine percent of us, you see how to you see what the reality is. And those jokes just don't really resonate with me no more. They don't. They don't. Because you see, you see exactly what you do and don't control. You know what your lane is. You know what your uh You know the shit that you keep pent up in you that you can't do shit about. And you're not willing to do shit about, really. So those types of jokes. And then I'm just tripping because. It was a lot of brothers putting in work. It was a lot of black men, a lot of black athletes. One uh, to say that Duke was unathletic, and then to see that the alley oop, the iconic alley oop, that um, can you think of Grant Hill caught? And it was like two. It was two or three other brothers on that team that did a lot of the work. And brought the athleticism. But Bomani Jones is so big that nobody questions the joke. He can just say it was all white guys. He showed a t- he showed a picture of a of a uh, of a Louisville team when they won their first championship in the 80s. And he made a he made a comment on there. Now I'm talking about this shit way longer than I wanted to. Uh, but Bomani made a comment about the team was so black that they called that it's the Louisville Cardinals or Louisville Cardinals Cardinals and they became nicknamed as the Blackbirds and um Bomani says something about the whole like the whole team being black but it but it was it was really it was somewhat of a balanced team it, it really wasn't an all-black team. I, I want to say in 12 men, maybe 15, I thought it was five or six white guys. But, it, you know, we, 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 and I'm getting ready to get into this with Whitlock. We, we, we get our shit off and the, and, and the audiences never question anything. Like I said, to sit up and only mention, to intentionally, to only mention Bobby Hurley, and Christian Leitner 
And then maybe Wojciechowski or whatever his name was, uh, and, and and some of the other cats that came with Danny Ferry, to only mention those guys and and make no reference to Grant Hill and that dunk. That's disingenuous to me. That's that's disingenuous to me. Speaking of disingenuous. Speaking of disingenuous, the kingpin of this. I I ran into a word. I can't even figure out how to convert that one. Uh, Jason Whitlock. I hadn't really. The last time it might be. It might be five months ago since I even heard any Whitlock. You know, I even tried to get a dude a chance. Um, I got to talk about this NFL stuff. And so some bullet prints, I mean, some bullet points, bullet prints. So he goes on after the Brian Flores, the former coach of the Miami Dolphins. I just noticed this. I just noticed this. Whitlock does not even talk about white athletes. He only talk, he only mentions a white athlete when they've said something against the vaccines, which that shit should be going away in my opinion. He's only said something about a white athlete if they if they've been uh if they've been anti-vax. Or if a black athlete has criticized them so that he can say like the black athlete isn't he being racist that's the only time that he mentions white athletes Whitlock's job his objective is to wake up and see whatever black person has spoken out in, on anything or done anything and to go attack them that's all his job is there was a movie there's a movie called uh, a soldier story and Adolf Caesar I think is the brother's name who played old Sarge and there was a uh, he was the head he was the sergeant of this platoon or company or whatever it's called and this this had um, Denzel Washington was in the movie and the brother uh, that was in heat of the night before he passed away and there was this brother named CJ Memphis who was like from the backwoods, real country boy, country strong, big dude, who was the, the heart and soul, the the, the uh the cleanup hitter on the the, the 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 baseball team for the for the platoon. And Sarge targeted CJ Memphis because he was so country. And Sarge determined that him being a brother who was somewhat progressive and and and, and uh, followed all the rules and took all the bullshit along the way to getting his stripes, uh, his thing was like other black dudes cannot step out of line and mess it up for all of us. So he he was initially he was enamored with C.J. Memphis's power with the baseball and saw him as a weapon for the team and all of that. But when he started when he started listening to CJ talk and some of the stuff that he would say out loud, when he would go sprinkle this 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 he had this powder shit in this little knapsack thing or burlap shit that he hung around his neck 
It was like some root or something Whenever he needed some power or something Uh he believed in all that old backwoods snake water snake all that shit and he was also a guitar player so he could just you know he was like he, he sarge considered him like a minstrel and he's like yeah you you come around here with all that yes sir bossing and all that type of stuff and you make it hard for real black men like me who are serious and out here moving and shaking and we can't have you and so he did something he, he he did some bullshit That made CJ uh, To lock CJ up And then Sarge came and, and visited, visited him In the brig And told him what he'd done to him And CJ Memphis said Sarge What kind of a black man Is you And um, you know he told him The day of the Geechee is dead We getting rid of in words like you We can't afford you no more And so um, That's where I'm at with Whitlock this, 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 this NFL conversation Really Drove home The game That the brother is playing And I can't And what was more demoralizing What was more disheartening Was the fact that As I'm looking at this Bullshit ass video On YouTube He's got like 90,000 views 3,000 comments uh, he on here selling boxes of meat Ivermectin treatments uh, Sports drinks He eating He's doing what he loves What he's passionate about He's happy He's, happy. he's employing others He's winning With this simple ass bullshit That I'm getting ready to get into and I just was like, damn, Reggie. I, you can you can sit here and 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 see through this bullshit and call this shit out and challenge this type of shit. And you can go on here and leave 12 comments punching holes and all this bullshit that he's talking. Maybe if you leave 12 comments, maybe you'll get 12 subscribers to go along with your 1000 and, and 11 or whatever it is maybe maybe shit you never get a reply you never get then I try to be bold I'm gonna keep all my content to myself I'm gonna put it on my platforms and then I get my 12 plays I get one of my partners who likes my uh my my caption on Instagram like fuck this shit Tell me I ain't got John Blaze. That shit was killing him. He can go out here with this, this, this bullshit. This simplified rhetoric and win overwhelmingly with this shit. It's remarkable to me. So after, uh, after Brian Flores, the former coach of the Miami Dolphins, comes out and files his lawsuit, of course, that's Whitlock probably got an alert. His his uh, nigga stepped out of line. Alarm probably went off that in the in the middle of the night. Excuse my my n word usage. I had to go there with it. It was like my man my man in life with the rifle. When they crossed the line He got an alarm 
Hey, you got you got work. You got work today. With time to clock in, bruh. And he got up and clicked his guns like Alonzo on training day and was like, man, I'm going to go in all out. I'm, I'm all over this. So after, um, after Flores files the lawsuit, we all start tearing it apart and, and seeing, you know, for me, I thought once I, once I, by the, by the fifth day, I could see that the brother made a bad mistake. And I think I talked about it on a previous episode. So let me get in here, though, what what really kills me about how Whitlock, what he told his predominantly white uh, following, and they ate this shit up and said, you telling it like it is, Whitlock. So one thing we talking about, we talking about black coaches talking about the inequalities or the lack of fairness in the in the in the hiring processes and the promotion, uh, the promotion uh, practices. Whitlock counters all of that shit with black athletes have too many kids out of wedlock way too often when they walk away from the game before they even get to the pros. They have they have kids already. This is shit. And I started to sit down and edit this shit and record him and get it all set up. I'm not doing all of that, but I'm not lying to you. You can go find an episode. He said black athletes have way too many kids out of wetlock. Then he got into his next point, which this feeds into because you have all of these kids and you paying for child support and you have all you know you, you don't believe in um, marriage and you're not living your your life according to the scripture and, and and you're not being a biblical man and all of this stuff you can't go out here and work for free as an intern and go to a college uh team and take a a position on the staff of a college team and work for free you can't do that because you need money to pay for your kids that you've made uh with all of these different women this is his this is what this educated intellectual brother sits here and, and says on his YouTube video. Then he comes and says, and since all of these black athletes are fatherless because our black family uh, unit is so torn down and non-existent in this country, because they come from such terrible beginning uh, upbringings, and most of them have been raised by uh, masculine women or single parent moms who are loud, emotional, uh, don't have any don't have any kind of personal accountability or anything, and are just unruly and undesirable themselves. Uh, these kids that they produce, these young men that they produce, they can't take a black man coaching them. So this is why, this is a hell of a hypothesis right here. So the owners, the NFL owners and the general managers that they hire, they know that this is the upbringing of these black athletes. So you know that the best move for your team and your franchise and, and, and the team culture and all of that, that the environment that you want to create, you would not take the risk of putting a black man as the head coach of these black athletes because they're not going to respond properly to black to a black man talking to them because they didn't grow up in a house with a black man 
This is what this brother sat here and said. I can name three or four pros that came from Ted Ginn from Ohio State and Ted Ginn uh, Jr., who played for a number uh, Carolina Panthers. I want to say the Saints. But uh, all of those kids, I, I believe, are from a school up in, in the Cleveland area, Cuyahoga County, from uh, Ted Ginn Senior. I think is 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 the is the head coach of the of the of the uh, varsity football team. Troy Smith came out of there, Heisman Trophy winner. I want to say the Gage kid. Uh, I think he was from Glenville. It was a number of different kids out of that that school that went to Ohio State and Ted Ginn Senior as the the head of security might have even been able to get the uh, the AD job at some point or something athletic director uh, but he coached all of those guys coming through there and they made their way to Ohio State and had all the success that they had it doesn't seem like they had this is, but nobody again none of these people none of his audience will question him on any of this bullshit 90,000 people listen to that shit and watch that shit in less than 24 hours let me join the fearless army brother you talking that Christian stuff and, and all this, this 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 bullshit and I just told you some of the simplest most unfounded bullshit that anybody could sit there and put together and, and, and feed it to somebody and this man can sell the products that he sells and get the, 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 the check from YouTube like this shit is maddening to me so then he gets on he says that um in the case of the Chiefs offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy, they've been to what three AFC championship games or four AFC maybe three AFC championship games or maybe four and they lost one of them or some shit but he's underneath longtime NFL coach uh, Andy Reid but he says he gets around to Eric being me and says there is no quote unquote profile this is his words there is no profile of a running back being a head coach I believe Anthony Lynn, who was fired from the Los Angeles, uh, the Los Angeles Chargers before last year. I believe Anthony Lynn was a running back. It's not a lot of them. It's not. It's not a lot of them. But to sit there and say that there's no profile for a running back being a head coach. He basically said these players are dumb. Which anybody that's a, that's black and an athlete, in his opinion, is dumb, pretty much. If you open your mouth and say anything, you're dumb, period. So he so he says, you know, there's no profile for uh, owners and GMs to point to that gives them the right or, or that should give them any kind of cue to hire this person as their coach, regardless of their interview. Regardless of their resume, somebody has, as an offensive coordinator, somebody has helped 
do game plans or, or scheme or create a scheme uh, to attack the opposing defense. Somebody has helped and or- helped coordinate or orchestrate everything that Mahomes. I can't even think of the tight end's name. All the wide receivers that they've had through there, Cheetah. Damn, I need to pull that roster up. I can't think of none of them dudes now. My mind is totally off of football. Kelsey, Travis Kelsey. Um, and the running back, uh, Hilliard or uh, Elair, Clyde Elair, Clyde Edwards Elair, whatever. As prolific as that offense has been, you can't say that the enemy hasn't done anything. In saying what he just said, there's no profile. You're just clearly advocating that you ignore a person's resume. You ignore a man's resume and you just hire the white guy you like. Because he went to a division two or division three college. Because he wasn't a good enough athlete to play at the higher levels. He realized early that his calling was coaching and he got involved in coaching and may have done some he may have been a position coach at William and Mary or Liberty or Brown or whatever you know some the Citadel for a year or two then you go to the NFL as a, a quarterback coach and then you get it and then you get an NFL head coach at 33 that's perfectly okay the black dude, what, what he what he did, what he didn't actually say here, but what he said in all of his thoughts are you as a professional athlete and your 12, your 10 to 14 years that you played or your eight to 11 years that you played at, at the highest level of football, the most difficult sport in the world. You, my brother, you have to go and be an intern and work for free and prove yourself on a college staff that's what he said that's what he said without saying it then he goes on to say and I only got one more thing to say then he goes on to say that well basically because he was a running back and he used to hit people with his head and get tackled by four people per play and he wasn't even a great a standout NFL running back. He can't possibly interview. He excuse me. He can't possibly be a good interview. I just haven't seen a a a, a more uh, crystal clear endorsement of like racial bias or what I don't know what I don't even know what these terms are uh organizational racism or organiz- prejudice discrimination all of this shit like I haven't seen more a, a, a bigger advocate to judge people by their color the color of their skin and what you saw what you see of them what your eyes see because this brother is just an offensive coordinator he 
don't consider there's no profile. There's nothing telling us that we should hire him. What about this motherfucker's resume? What the fuck does he do for 17, 18 weeks a year? The fuck his his, his headset his headset isn't plugged up. He just got the thing that's supposed to go into the box. This shit ain't even plugged in. It's just dangling to the side. And he just over there lip syncing shit. Just moving his lips when the ball, before the ball is hiked. And just reading some shit. He can't even read. You know, he's a running back. He can't even read. He just go down to some color on there. Hey, this is orange. And points at the orange line and just mouths some shit. And moves the microphone around in front of his face. That's what he's been doing for 17, 18 weeks. Ah, shit. 20, 24 weeks when you factor in the playoffs and the fact that they're playing into the AFC championship game. And Eric Bieniemy is over there with a hat on and a, a a headset that's not plugged in to the box and the and the box doesn't even have a fucking battery in it. He's just standing there. The other thing, and I, I forgot about this one, but there was there was the, one of the facts out there. What the what the what the some of what the black men were saying was, if, if we if we can look at some numbers, sixty three percent of all of the coaches were related to somebody. So there's a high degree of nepotism in these positions: the linebacker coach, offensive line coach, defensive line coach, tight ends coach, wide receivers coach. That's a brother. Uh, defensive backs coach and then some of the uh, you know they got like a, a, a executive or a, assistant offensive court there's a bunch of shit 63% of them are they all had they had a last name of the dude calling the shots the head coach another point that was made here and I can't think if I talked about this so there's like a hundred it's like 130 and this this is this speaks to this uh, this net the, the the effects of this nepotism shit this was when i was writing this out before when i was gonna do a, an in-depth podcast on the shit when i when it was when it was really going on maybe i did talk about this so at the university of iowa kirk ferentz i'm going there again his son kirk ferentz's son is the offensive coordinator. This was on um this was on undefeated dot uh the 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 ESPN page where all the black people write. This was on their site in an article that I read. His son is the offensive coordinator. His salary is over eight hundred thousand dollars per year. I want to say it was eight hundred and sixty thousand. You know all of this shit is public record, right? Because it's a it's the state it's the it's the uh, state's school. They're all public employees. So the son is making eight hundred and sixty thousand dollars to be the offensive coordinator. Out of a hundred and thirty two hundred and thirty three Division one college football teams, the offensive coordinator of the Iowa Hawkeyes who has the same last name as the head coach and is his son that offense ranks 121 out of 132 133 teams 
and he can sit here and get to keep his job because his dad is the man that calls the shots. That's what the black coaches are sitting here talking about. That does not get mentioned on Fearless with Jason Whitlock. You brothers are out here trying to play Malcolm X, which leads me into my last point. This is where I really got pissed, pissed off. Brian Flores, he goes on to tell his audience. And I did the same thing. I did the same thing. Trust me. When I started digging into the lawsuit and, and finding out some more about Brian Flores, I'm like, I go and Google Brian Flores wife. I got to know who I'm I got to know who I'm about to speak up or or say anything in defense of. Let me get a, a full look at this. I gotta do a pro I gotta work up a profile on it. I gotta gather some string on it. I pull up the image and it's a very fair skinned female with longer hair, longer brown hair, two or three kids. I wanna say two kids, um, with you know, an interesting grade of hair, texture of hair. And I'm like, hmm. Hmm. This is this 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 a change. This is uh this is a this is this is some this is a note right here. I gotta I gotta look a little bit more closely. But after about a minute, I look at some features of this woman, and this is not a white woman. This is not a white female. She's definitely not a from a white dad and a white mom. She's not. Foolish ass, goofy ass Jason Whitlock and his uh his hand to mouth eating ass audience. He just tells them this brother's married to a white woman. So you should that nullifies or voids his whole argument. He says that this brother is not mad at the NFL and hiring practices and, and the fact that he was fired. He's not mad at that at all. He says what this brother is mad at is that he he's mad at his choice of wife. How do you how do you just hijack somebody's whole whole uh <laughs> this is how they just take your your narrative from you and, or, or what you're even trying to do. He says this brother don't have really that has no beef whatsoever with with the NFL. He's mad because he has a white wife and that's who he chose to be the head coach of his football team, his family. That's what the brother said. Now, none of his white fans are going to even question that this is a white woman because you know what? I don't think... I'm not trying to dog white people necessarily here, but a lot of white people that I know... They just don't sit around focusing on this type of shit. And they might have noticed that she was sitting there with a head full of blonde hair. Maybe they noticed that. But this woman is not a any anybody that's been around a diverse group of people in your travels. I looked at at the texture of her of her hair. I looked at some of her facial features and you can tell that she's not a white woman. He's Afro uh, Latino, I believe, like to me. 
But he has that name You know he's got that surname His wife looks like she's a um, A lighter uh, You know a fair skinned uh, Latino woman I could google her name real quick But I, I don't But none of the white people on here question, you know, I don't know, Wit. I, I don't know. That doesn't really look like a white woman. Fuck it. You said she was white. She's white. And you're right. He can't say nothing because he married a white woman. He needs to withdraw his lawsuit. It's some frivolous bullshit. He's not even a real black man and whatever. You know, they just run with this shit. If it's 97, if it's 97,000 views on there, it's probably, they probably represent 95,000 of them Cause you got this brother This black man who sits here And talks about The breakdown of the black family The fact that fathers Aren't being fathers to their kids The, fa- the fact that black men ain't, ain't, Aren't being fathers to their kids They're not marrying the women that they sleep with So they don't deserve to be fucking head coaches If you follow what the man is saying Morally, ethically, we get to talking about being upstanding, having principles. You can't possibly entrust your team to none of these black men out here in this world, in this United States of America. Look what they come from. <laughs> I haven't seen anybody embrace racism more than this right here. By the way, I had to Google another brother this week. I had to investigate. <laughs> I had to investigate another brother this week. Blew my mind. Blew my mind. Robert Smith. I talked about him a couple episodes ago. Robert Smith is the financial brother, the richest black man in America. The richest black man in America that the NFL would allegedly like to purchase the Denver Broncos, who two or three years ago, I always forget the unit, the HBCU that he was at, Morehouse, uh, Howard, one of them. He was he he was the commencement speaker, honorary speaker or whatever, and paid for everybody's. All of the, the graduating class, he paid for all of them to graduate. Married to a white woman. I say, ah, damn. What? God damn. I told you Obama was special, boy. Talk about uniqueness. Um, Yeah, Robert Smith White, she was at the Super Bowl and had a post before she went talking about uh let's let's do our own spin on this nfl franchise owner thing she was she was toying with it at the super bowl saying like it was dress rehearsal for him and her who attended the game now what's interesting about her she has some polish maybe even ukrainian middle uh her name is like hyphenated or some shit and it's like Dorfacek or doris some shit smith is her you know her last name Interestingly, she was Miss December in some year for Playboy. I'm like, man, what the? 
again, man, uh, you know, this, a lot of this shit is complicated. Um. So yeah, nobody even questioned. Nobody else went and googled. Uh, Roberts, uh, Brian Flores, wife, family, clicked on that image button. So the images come up, and then look at them and say, Nah, you know, Whitlock, man. Um, my wife is white. My manager is white. My coworker is white. The lady that works next to me on the line is white. I really haven't seen any white women that look like this woman right here, like his wife. I don't think she's white. I had to look at her for a couple of minutes before I kind of pieced it together, but I'm fairly confident that she's not white. I'm fairly confident that Jason Whitlock knows she's not white. But that that didn't fit... That didn't fit his shit. And moreover, he knows that the men that he's mostly talking to, that, that that's most receptive to his constant messaging, he knows that they're not going to look for themselves. So he's golden. Now buy this box of beef, motherfucker. Buy this ivermectin treatment I'm selling your ass. And join the fearless army. Shoot your email over here. Here's my Venmo, my PayPal, and all this bullshit. You can donate to the show. It's a hell of a gig if you can get it. Hell of a gig if you can get it. This brother got like five, six, seven, eight thousand comments on there. I don't know, 85, 90% in total agreement. Five, eight, ten percent who like, man, you over here telling these people this bullshit, man. You don't believe this shit you talking about, man. You don't believe this shit you talking about. You and your collection of black people that you bring on here who all sound pretty special to me. shit is sad that's the game that you have to play to bring it all the way home that's the game that you have to play to be successful at this shit you don't go out here and talk about Tom Brady and his unprecedented career and his seven suit that shit is boring fuck would you waste your time doing that for giving this motherfucker his flowers I always get angry about when I get ready to shut this down my my, 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 uh, my vocabulary goes to shit nah you don't fucking talk about Luka Doncic being maybe the best young player next to John Morant and well MB might be a little, getting a little longer in the tooth than those two uh, but you don't you don't just go and willingly pick out Luka Doncic and start talking about how great he is or how good he is or how exceptional he is. You don't do that. You don't acknowledge Cooper Cup and talk about his 1,900-yard receiving season. You don't fucking do that. His 150 receptions second best all time or whatever you don't go and acknowledge that shit that's boring that's regular sports fuck talks about regular sports leave that shit to Colin Cowherd 
I'm over here. I am a racism talk show host. That's what I do. Fucking talk about no Coach K and his illustrious career and all his wins and all that bullshit. Who needs to do that? Did any black people talk about him? Did any black man speak out about an attack or question Cooper Cup's prowess as an NFL wide receiver? Did any black person, did any black athlete t- say that Tom Brady isn't the GOAT? I will talk about that shit. I'm not going to talk about Travis Kelsey as no dominant game-changing tight end. Fuck what I waste my time with that shit for. It's, it's 20,000 dudes doing that shit. I am a racism talk show host. I'm a racist, racism podcaster. That's what I do. Buy this damn salmon swimming in these clear. <laughs> I can't even think of the, the American in, in American water, you know, with American ice. Buy this salmon. This box of salmon use cold big wit. How do people sit and listen to this bullshit? How do you sit and accept and allow people to be disingenuous to you? The black coach is just like, hey, man, I went and played at the highest level. I have no problem going and being an assistant to the running back coach or the assistant to the or, or a scout. I have no problem in doing in starting uh, at the bottom and working my way and and, and um, honing my skills and, and 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 accepting more responsibilities and, and moving into the the position coach and then becoming the uh, the uh, the offense or defensive coordinator the executive assistant head coach uh i have no i have no problem he don't even he didn't even consider does eric be enemy does he show up to work does he work late does he show up the first does he show up first and leave last there's no profile for that he's a running back fuck him hammerhead ass concuss concussion you know fuck him let me go get this dude with this English degree from uh, from Brown or Vanderbilt, which is a bigger school. Let me go get one of them one year as the backup or uh, the assistant offensive line coach. Bring him over here. He came in here with an iPad. He, play, he knew where the auxiliary cord was, knew how to log into the Wi-Fi, parish shit to the system. In 30 seconds, he had his, his, his PowerPoint shit up on the board. He was going through his organizational uh, shit. He had all the coaches that he wanted to bring in. He knew how to, he knew which what coaches from our current staff he wanted to retain. He knew what our cap, our cap situation was. He knew the average age of all our players. He knew where he knew what uh, position where we draft in each round. Fuck out of here with this dude who went to four straight AFC conference championship games and two Super Bowls. 
Fuck out of here with that bullshit. You better go over here to Purdue and get this uh and, and take this intern position and work for free. Start at the start at the bottom, at the very bottom. You better do all of that shit. I don't care that you rushed for 1300 yards in 1987. That you were a Heisman uh candidate finalist. That's all the black dudes was like, well, hey man, look at look at this 63%. I can't get to the I can't get to the offensive coordinator spot because I can't become the wide receiver coach because he has the last name of the dude who hired all of us and who runs the show. You don't think 63% being all being related, you don't think it's you don't think it's no problem with that? You got a problem when they say it's 70%. Eh, you know. We could go in circles on the shit, but you know, that's what it is. And I see the ignorant ass YouTube. I, 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 you know, here I go with this. Here I go with this, hating on this. But I see the ignorant ass channels out here talking all reckless in the other direction. I'm not even going to go down that road, though. I'm going to get on off of here. I'm already over my hour. I think me and Kaylee Reese talked for about, I was supposed to have 40 minutes, and it came down to, like, she said something, and it became, you know, I only got a, I, was, I thought I was going to have 45 minutes. It ended up being 20 minutes. But I appreciate her time. See, when I can talk with somebody like uh, Kaylee, good story some kind of notoriety or something for me to, to to put in the description or the name can be googled or some shit uh when i can just talk to them i ain't, i don't have to go into none of my bullshit i don't have to dig deep to talk about none of this bullshit bomani jones and his new hbo show whitlock feeding his his flock what he usually the, the, the usual feed that he gives them I ain't gotta be jealous of Emmanuel Hansel I'm sitting here as a two armed man sitting here mad that this kid with one arm got shouted out by J. Cole and now he has a name image likeness evaluation or valuation I'm sorry valuation of over one point million dollars damn boy damn Anyway, after this break, man, me and unified 140-pound women's boxing champion, Kaylee K.O. Reese, uh, star of and helped create the story for the award-winning film, Catch the Fair One, which I believe she hints on it at the end of the interview. I believe you can watch it on Amazon right now. I don't know if you can watch it for free, uh, but it is out of the theaters now. It was just in limited, you know, in a limited number of theaters. Uh, she says something that is on Amazon. So uh, that's that. Let me get on out of here.
right, look. It's the Pay Me No Mind show. My name is Wood. Uh, right down boxing slash my po- my podcast. It's always personal. It'll be up on all of those. Uh, but I'm putting it here on, on YouTube uh, so people can get to it here because I like the story and I think I'm talking to a special person in a lot of respect. So uh, we're just trying to get it out there. But I'm on limited time, so we got to jump into it. I want to introduce Unified Junior Welterweight Champion Kaylee Reese. How you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. You know, always on the move, sitting in the sauna right now at Big Six Boxing Academy, my home gym in Providence, Rhode Island. But I'm doing well. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for your time. Uh, Congratulations for everything that you have going on. Uh, I know my time is limited, so I do want... Man, I knew something was off. I want to jump into... uh, I want to talk... I want to talk a lot about your movie. So so we definitely spend a lot of time there, but I don't want to choose between you and you know that and your boxing because i do focus heavily on boxing as well um quick question though i saw years ago when i was getting started uh you i believe you and alicia Baumgartner had some questions you had made like a big sis advice or something to her on twitter or something she was anxious to get going and i thought you had a statement like wait your turn or things will happen it, it wasn't disrespectful but it was just big sis stuff uh, what did you think when you saw her take down uh, Terry Harper a, co- a while back? Oh, I was like, told y'all. That's how I felt because I met Alicia um, a couple years back when I was training in Detroit um, as part of a sparring partner for um, Havana Hobbison when she was getting ready for Clarissa Shields. And I had the pleasure of training out there in Detroit with them. And, you know, I love, I love a dog and she's a dog and she can fight. And I had the pleasure of uh, working with her and sparring with her. And I just knew from when she jumped into the pro ranks, you know, her amateur background, she just comes from a hell of a, a camp, a hell of a team. And she just is a natural athlete. And she is definitely mogul of the sport. She absorbs everything like a, a sponge. So I just knew once she got the platform to display her skills, she's not just tall talk. She actually, she walks the walk, she punches the punch. And I was like, told y'all, like, I, I know y'all never heard of her. But the ones who are really boxing enthusiasts, um, whether it's male or female, knew that she was coming and she meant business. Taking nothing away from Terry Harper, but Alicia Bumgarner is a different type of animal. So I was just like, I know you're anxious, girl. Just wait, because it's going to come. I know it's going to come. And I knew she wasn't going to let that opportunity pass. And she was going to execute the plan as, as she should and as she did. And now she is on the scene. Right, right. Like a bomb. Exactly. <laughs> um. I, I'm, I'm watching the clock here so I, I do have a couple more quick boxing questions uh, big women's fight coming up that's going to be very important maybe we speak again before it I don't know but while you're here uh, Serrano and Taylor who's your winner yo man that fight this two two crazy good pioneers of the sport i mean speaking from experience i've been sparring katie since she hopped on the pro scene she's one of my um regular sparring partners that she comes to connecticut and when i'm in providence she's about an hour away so we help each other get ready for fights and it's it was dope to be able to work with somebody like katie because you know i've almost 14 years in the game now so i was able to kind of grow as the sport of women's boxing on what they're like in the amateur ranks coming out of the olympics and i was like oh we fighting like this all right cool guess i gotta step my game up so i was 
you know, we jump at the chance and we, we you know, steal, shop, and steal. But Amanda, I watched Amanda grow from when nobody knew who Amanda Serrano was to barely who Cindy was. I knew who Cindy was because she's an older um, fighter and she kind of was, you know, hot when I first came on the scene. I think that's whoever's night it is because there's things that Katie does well, there's things that Amanda does well, there's things that Amanda does that Katie hasn't seen yet, there's things that uh, Katie does that Amanda hasn't seen yet. As the analysis goes, um, Amanda comes out swinging from the opening bell. She kind of settles in, slows down a bit um, as the rounds go by, whereas Katie warms up, not slower, but she'll figure it out. And she's also has, you know, so many tools. So does Amanda. So I think it's going to be, you know, round six, seven, eight, or five, six, seven, they're going to be like, yo, who's who's going to take it there? You know what I mean? The power that Amanda possesses is, is retarded in all, all good sense of the word. And Katie too. Katie can crack. She can also take a punch. I'm not a, I'm not a 130-pounder. I'm a, you know, three-time former middleweight and she's taking my hits. So I don't even want to call who's going to win. I just want to be there because this is history in the making for women's boxing. You know, we're headlining a whole card, million-dollar fight. Right. And females, finally, we're here. Right. I do wish it was 12 rounds, though. 12 twos. I'd like to see 12 rounds. That's my analysis. Okay. Uh, last boxing question to get it started for this for this intro. Um, do you think Setarus and uh, Franchon Cruz Desern is kind of being undersold or over, underlooked a little bit with that also being an undisputed fight up at super middleweight? I do, because it's an undisputed fight. It's an undisputed fight um, in another hot weight class, you know what I mean? So I do think it's being undersold. Um, you know, People who don't follow women's boxing as much know who Kate Taylor is, they know Clarissa Shields, they know who Amanda is. Unfortunately, Franchon is not as much of a household name as those, but she is one. Um, so is the Setarus. The Setarus, you know, the... Um, what she fought Alicia Napoleon. Big statement. Was, yo, yo, I was what? Big <laughs> like, statement. And I, I knew she was. I when I I went to that fight too because uh, my husband manages her too. Like I met Sarus, I was like, well, goddamn, she's a big girl. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't know she was that big. I was like, hi. <laughs> um, but I do think it's getting undersold. I do think it's worthy of getting just the same hype. You know what I mean? We got to treat. All these undisputed, all these unification fights in the female category, as big as the next, so people can get used to seeing that. So I, I wish there was more highlight on it, but you know, the fact that people even know, in fact, you asked me that question, that's a statement because we we are known more now. So I just keep the, I hope that we just keep rolling in that same direction. Well, I can't say everybody doesn't have bite down boxing, does it? But you know, anyway. Um, we may not be able to work back to it, so I better get it out there now. Actually, um, do you have a winner in that one? Do you think Satterus is 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 seasoned enough to deal with everything that Franchon brings? Or no, Franchon's a problem, man. And just, how do you train for somebody that fights her style? She, to me, and not comparing her to this male fighter, but not only because it's my stablemate and a really longtime childhood friend, she's like another Boo Boo Android. Like you can't train for Boo Boo. Like you can't. There's nobody who you who else do you spar for Franchon but Franchon to get ready for Franchon. You know what I'm saying? She's a dog, another dog. She comes to fight. F the wig. I want the belts. You know what I mean? But <laughs> is a yeah. Those European fighters um are a little bit different. But she was an amateur Olympian. You know what I mean? So she's seen that. So I think I have I have definitely Franchon in that. I think Cedarus might you know pose as a problem. At first, maybe, but I can't say her size because she fought Big Al. You know what right. I mean? She took Big Al out, so it is. It is what it is. I, I think Franchon definitely got that. 
I like to see Etta Roos is a beast in the gym. I follow her on Instagram, so I love that she's really, uh, she focuses on her fitness, and I, I think she will be well prepared. I just don't know if she can close the gap yeah. skill-wise and experience-wise. Uh, let's get I think in- it's going to be close. <laughs> right. I think it's going to be a battle. Uh, for you, any any timeline on when your undisputed fight could come together? Is there a card or a date, some things falling in place, any, anything you can share on that? Well, um, I'm definitely going to kind of let people in on it probably within the next week. Um, where we, we have planned on a date between uh, February, April, March area, but things happen. Um, so we don't have a date set yet. The fight is going to happen, but it's probably not going to happen when we planned on it because I'm taking care of a couple of health issues right now that I've ignored for a long time um, that I have just not say anything and fight, you know, barely at 50%, but, you know, put on a smile and just take the fights because that's what I do. I'm not going to do that to the sport of boxing that I love, and I'm not going to do that to my um, my my opponent, my elite fighter, champion, Chantel Cameron. So I wouldn't expect less anything less than, than anybody else's 100%. So right now there's no date, um, but we're going to go into more details uh probably within the next week because I feel I, I think I need to um kind of set things a little bit straight trust me I want m- nothing more than to hop in there and fight to the undisputed title I've been pro for almost 14 years and I've been fighting through my very rough rocky uphill down battle career that I would never change to get where I'm at right now so we'll have more information on that soon for sure okay good deal look uh let's jump into this movie catch the fair one uh I'm a harsh critic and you know I don't pull no punches when it comes to my 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 entertainment, whether it's music or movies. I didn't have nothing negative to say about the film, so we can get that out the way. But I really want to talk about it um, for you, just so people can have a connection of where you are with uh, that industry, or you know, with with uh, movies. Uh, what is either like your go-to or favorite movie, or what is a role that you would have loved to have played? That's a loaded question. I can give you the um, my go-to maybe kind of off of that movie of what we kind of what I watch and what I still movie I still watch in a role that I admire is Hugh Jackman in in Prisoners. That movie was a huge for me inspiration on just performance wise and just the the content of the movie was insane. Like especially being in the industry now. Um, in really understanding what it takes to do roles like that and really having actually shot a movie and knowing the mental capacity that in space you have to be in Hugh Jackman is an, he's a legend you know what I mean I can go on for you know I can shout out Viola Davis because she's from Rhode Island but she's a beast too you know there's so many different I'm a movie buff but I can think of like a go to but right now off the, off the top of the head especially speaking towards my movie that I did I think Hugh Jackman is a beast in that movie that, that whole cast Jake, Jake Gyllenhaal he has another aspect of that whole the whole twisted ass movie that I love but um that was a huge one of the huge motivators that myself and Joseph liked about that there was music you know score wise content wise performance wise um I love that movie Prisoners and you I watch a lot of movies but that one is throwing me for a loop so I'm gonna write it down and check it out uh next time we talk you've never I'm, seen that movie I'm drawing a total blank on that one total blank it's it's, it's great i forgot the other actor's name that plays a, another lead in it um he actually is in the in the new the batman he plays the riddler riddler 
Okay. He's in that movie too. It's um just watch it and get back to me. I will. It's I w- really good. I will. Um, you've remained on message about your indigenous heritage and the battles that uh the community faces on multiple fronts, a lot of tough battles. Uh how did you settle on either this pitch or this concept for Catch the Fire and what it focuses on? So, um, Joseph, kind of give you a quick rundown. Joseph reached back um, out to me back in 2017. He just like a lot of the general population didn't know anything about missing and murdered indigenous women. He just kind of started finding out about you know the highway of tears in um, Canada and kind of the epidemic that's been plaguing our people since the dawn of time. He's an established director, um, filmmaker, has a feature film already, done a lot of TV directing. He reached out to me with an idea and kind of a question, do you, you know, do you ever think about acting? Fast forward, he came and just really got to know me and um, wanted to know my story and just his approach on knowing that it was a story, a necessary story to tell, but it wasn't his story to tell. So he wanted to get the perspective of myself and the community that I represent. And he also saw that I do what I can to bring awareness to things like missing and murdered indigenous women or the pipelines being drilled through sacred lands, breaking trees and the residential school children being found with my boxing platform. If I have a voice, um, you know, and I have voice that, you know, these voiceless people being missing and murdered or these things, this whole native country, as we call it, that nobody pays attention to. We're leading in so many statistics and we're the first people of this land and any indigenous land around the world, but we're the last thought about so I do what I can to really represent who I am in the boxing world and just bring awareness. So I believe awareness is a catalyst to change in, in a lot of aspects. So he just kind of wants to incorporate that. And he had a bare bones script about a woman that lost somebody, a relationship that lost somebody close to her. And fast forward to like a th- two year collaboration, he asked me to come on as a creative collaborator um and just really the themes the perspective he sat down with my elders i gave him stories that i knew personal experiences the stories i heard from different women and organizations to these different reservations that i and communities that i visited to speak to and just to listen to because when i travel to different reservations i just you know you can speak but i really want to listen to because i you know sometimes just listening ear you can learn and they can learn and they can just heal and the you know the the storytelling aspect that's our way of healing you know we got to tell our stories to pass down information creation stories and i think that's just a good way to heal so that's kind of how it just segued into what we have now it was a collaboration over two years and i never acted before um but i treated it just like i treat my fighting and anything else i do i'm an ocd virgo so i was gonna do it you know go big or go home and maybe somebody else wouldn't have played this character like i did but i felt it um really to represent um, my native people and especially to represent the northeast woodland tribes and the east coast tribes the first contact people that we seem to forget a lot of times and the anti and anti-blackness everywhere because i'm native and black okay verdian and indian like you don't see these faces on screen so it's real important for me to tell this story well said what was more challenging for you what was more difficult the emotion that you had to tap into to have this, this the discussion with Kaylee's mother in her office, I believe, or the scene where you were being kind of chosen with all the girls and they called you grandma. Some made some disparaging comments about you. You had to get undressed. Which one of those challenged you more? Um, I would say that the scene with Kaylee and her mother was was really close to home in a lot of aspects and it was challenging not because of the emotional content of it it was just actually kind of cathartic and 
there's so many layers to that scene. Number one, she's just trying to get approval from her mother. She's not the fair one. Her dad, clearly, they don't have a good relationship. She's the first one. She feels responsible for her, her sister going missing. She doesn't want to tell her mom what she's doing, but she wants to get acceptance because she's like, look, I'm just trying to do this for us. Maybe finally you'll accept me. My community will accept me. Um, but I will say the most challenging scene that we did was there was no even spoken words. It was when the character at the towards the end is looking at her sister um, before she goes up to fight. And that to me, I could barely get through that because I literally do that. Like. I fight with a purpose. I, I represent my people. And I think of all the missing and murdered indigenous people, not just women, um, these young girls is people that I know personally, that just the genocide has been passed down genetically, not even like physically, genetically. I feel that really. I mean, I feel it strong, but I feel it. And feelings are, I don't care if you're a thousand miles away, we have the same feelings. So that I could barely, I could barely get that because I, I also know my niece, my niece who played the little girl and it's just, that was tough. There was no words being spoken, but I just knew what it was. I, man, that's why that picture, they keep using that picture. I was balling. Like, I couldn't get through it. Like, it was crazy. So that was the hardest one. In the, I mean, I think you had a breakout performance uh, in many ways, but was it a benefit to you for another pro boxer and Shelly Vincent as Brick? Uh, The opening part portion of the movie, you were teamed up with her. And I'm like, I don't know who that is. I mean, I was... She had, and it was a very natural role for her training and whatnot. But was that a plus for you to be paired up with her in in in, in the in the movie? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, oddly enough, um, I've known Shelly for a long time. I call my little brother sister, and um, before we we shot the movie, we had her as Brick. Like, there's nobody else that could have been Brick. And when we were writing the story, we wrote it for her. I'm like, there's nobody else. And he, the reason why was because Joseph saw the videos, the goofy ass videos that we always put up or training and we saw that we were all together always together so even when he came up here to talk to me he's like i gotta meet shelly and me and shelly were living together so i'm like you can see her this is our good this is how we are all the time so he just wanted to incorporate that energy in it and before that me and shelly hadn't talked for over a year because we had murder beef over something really stupid and that movie actually brought us back together so <laughs> it's crazy because that is my family like i love her to death but we had a really bad falling out and right before we were shooting, Joseph was like, you want to give it a shot? I'm like, we could talk to her, but it's either going to go left or going to go right. And then, as soon as we sat down on the table, we sat down. She was like, what up? I'm like, what up? And we both was like, what up, homie? I was like, yeah, you know what I mean? This is us. That's family. So it was a plus. And it wasn't something out of a comfort zone for either of us. So right. that was, you know, doing the pads. It's just something that we do anyway. Right. And then having Matt, my cousin, you know, inspired him. was like, he jumped to the chance to punch me in the face. Right. Uh, you being involved with creating crafting the story and wanting to see this come through perfect i just wonder uh who was the favorite castmate that that you guys got that really signaled to you how big it could be because i mean lisa emery as darlene on at, on uh ozark damn near iconic uh, character. Uh, my mom is crazy about Darlene, uh, and it's crazy that she ended up with a shotgun or a long-barreled uh, yep. gun, a rifle. Uh, but then Daniel Henshaw played like a sexual deviant character in a, in a series called Defending Jacob. Here he is again on some weirdo stuff. And then Kevin Dunn, we've seen him in, in, in several things. So, who was brought in and you were like, oh, this is gonna be ill? 
I mean, starting from Kimberly Guerrero and knowing her as an indigenous actress okay. was just so comforting to me. And then having Lisa Emery was like, yo, Ozark, what? <laughs> and to meet them outside of their character, she is cool as hell. And then Kevin Dunn is amazing. He's the chillest, coolest. We went out to dinner, we drinking wine. He's chilling, telling me all crazy stories. But Daniel Henshaw is my favorite. He is such a cool, funny Aussie. I love him so much. Um, he actually came to my last fight before we shot to see me fight. And um, it was his first fight. And I saw him in Snowtown Murders. I'm like, you were a creep. <laughs> but I knew that his performance in that role, because it was so important for us to portray these villains as regular people. And it was more scary and more cringeworthy, the fact that he you know, looked like a well-tailored, white-collared white guy. Right. Has a family. That's that's the reality of the situation. Right. Um, and we knew that he could bring that real cringe creepiness in all the good ways. But you know, between takes with cracking jokes, like he was so supportive, and you know, me walking into a whole new world. And I know people at first was like, "Here comes another athlete trying to be an actor." You know, I knew I had a lot to prove again because I'm always having a lot to prove. But um, he was so supportive and. We worked on a couple of things and he was just, he was like, oh, it's like watching my kid go to first grade, seeing you kind of grow with this whole thing. So it was awesome. Um, Cause we shot some really happy stuff. And, but it's such a warm, warm experience with Kevin Dunn as well. I mean, we had a crazy scene. I'm like, you know, in the back of my head, I'm like, I'm pointing a gun at Transformers dad. Like, this is crazy. Right, <laughs> you know right. what I mean? But they were so professional and so welcoming and so supportive that everybody and every spin if it was for a day was was my favorite at that time. But I gotta say, me and Daniel like like this. That's my homie. Okay, I'm looking at the movie because I, we've talked a couple times. The last time we talked in person was in Hammond, Indiana, at that kind of like women's heavy night. Uh, yep. You were calling the fight with uh, Alicia. Um, so I'm looking at the movie to see kind of where Kaylee might have. That's, you know, she directly, I mean, that is here directly because of her. It's something she suggested. Uh, the, 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 the Native American cat that was, that was basically the ops that looked like he was doing the dirty work. I don't know if his name was Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah. Was, was that a character that you thought like he had to be Native American to really drive home how grimy this, this, this whole situation that is? That was. That was something that, because we had like 10 different scripts. Some of the, we laugh at it now, like some of the scenarios, I'm like, that was dumb. But um, <laughs> like, like if you look, like there's so many endings, there were so many scenarios, there were so many other characters that we had, but it was crazy to really start there. And him being native was a part that I kind of brought to Joseph's attention, but he took it and grasped it. And he kind of really painted the picture. And he's like, what if we, yeah, what if we do make him native? Because at first, he was gonna maybe be like half white, half native. And I'm like, nah, we're gonna go all the way through because there's a lot of self-hate, not just in the native country, there's self-hate with Asians, self-hate with natives, self-hate with black, there's self-hate with every race there is on the face of this earth and however early more galaxies there are. But there's, I know of it from other natives or other black people that self-hate and it's, you know, it's very prominent. So we, he, we mentioned it, we toyed with it and we really molded it and we had to make it somebody because again, it's really, really creepy, so. Right, I just I hated that guy, you know. And you need things like that in the movie to make people, the audience, attached to it and whatnot. And I hated that guy. Um, and we had to make him her first kill too, because she's never killed before. Uh, but the fact that it was her first kill and it was her own kind, and she was kind of looking at him like, "Bro, come on, man, it's, this is us. Like, I'm one of you," kind of a thing. And she had to really 
she actually do everything she's been paying for. And the first home was another native that she's even trying to get accepted from, and she got to kill one. Like it's so many layers. I missed that too. I, I, I didn't even really catch that. Um, the ending. Again, like I said, I'm not trying to curry favor favor with you because you're on here and tell you I love the movie because you're here. I thought what you did. I thought what you and uh, what was the director Joseph Joseph. I thought you just told a really smart story and left it really raw and and impactful. And you didn't try to do too much. But was there a lengthy discussion that took place on... I'm not going to give away the ending the way I, I originally wrote this question down. But was there... Uh, you just said it was multiple scripts. But was this ending intentional to kind of allow people or to, re, to give them a reminder as they leave the theater? This wasn't just a movie. This is really going on. So that's why it ended the way it ended. Absolutely. I mean, you know, because we... we finished two weeks before they started shutting things down for covid we had we thought it was going to be the end of the world post-production but actually it gave us a chance to explore a lot more and not have to rush to get them into the film festival circuit and everything so um what we knew and he joseph uses quote all the time it had to be unpredictable yet inevitable and i kind of had to you know when we both especially him corporately kind of got pulled in some directions from some suggestions um i kind of had to be like bro it's you but me it gotta be real it got this is not a this really happened so it was a very very conscious decision and it could have we, we toyed around with other endings but you've seen those movies before we wasn't doing this for hollywood we wasn't right. doing a hollywood ending we were doing realistic and i know firsthand personally that this is the reality so the same way that our community has to live with this reality and no one bats an eyelash when one white girl goes missing you gotta blast it all over CNN. This is the reality. You sit with it just like we've sat with it with set for centuries. So it was very conscious and very deliberate. Got you. Um, I think I had other questions, but uh, you know, we we're at that. Well, I got three more minutes. I, I guess um, you mentioned being up at heavyweight, the success that you had up there. You know, you don't have one of these press- heavyweight. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Middleweight, I'm sorry. I thought Wait I... Wait a minute. Sorry, sorry. I didn't mean to give you 35 pounds. Wait a minute. You mentioned being up in middleweight and having some success. Um, what's a greater or more rewarding achievement for you at this point? The way you've kind of resur- re- resurrected your career and had this second act in it, now being a unified champion and having a, f- a shot at this undisputed thing, or actually bringing this, this catch the fair one to fruition? I believe there there's no winner there. They're both equally as effective um, and impactful to me. Number one, because of the journey I found amidst my boxing career was to doing something, doing it for something outside of myself. And the response I was getting from actually the community that I represent, but wasn't enough for. I'm not enough. I'm not black enough. I'm not native enough. I'm not Cape Verdean enough. I look Spanish, look Asian and stuff. But now the very community that kind of tried to judge me because of the way I looked. Um, because of the perspectives of the very people that took land and everything else away from us are now kind of accepting and really like, yo, she does it for us. Wow, that's, you know, I'm a positive, hopefully positive role model for these, you know, future generations, current and, and um, past generations as well. I've gotten so many, I still get so many emails from kids, from parents. I've gotten suicide letters. I've gotten everything. Oh, you saved my life. Because I saw you finding people I saw hard to rep in that you can take every belt i've ever won you can strip me of every title and say i was zero and 22 and i sucked 
but that is more rewarding to know that maybe I gave somebody uh, some hope that to get off the path they're on and really that we were something. That way, that means more to me than any money than any belt. And then to actually have this idea become reality, because I still, it's still weird to go on Amazon Prime and be like, oh, that's me. Oh wow, you know. And just because of the context of it that it is, and it's also able to touch so many other people in a different way other than boxing it's a movie everybody watches movies it, they're just both equally as impactful to me and i think it's um the way i'm able to kind of segue and use things from boxing and acting now and boxing's not forever uh, i know that my body weary i don't want to be punched in the face so much longer and able to kind of really make a smooth transition into something that I'm actually enjoying it and maybe okay at is is pretty dope, but have the same purpose. I still have the same purpose with something else, so that's pretty dope. Okay, I'll let you get out of here. Um, quick last question uh, Have you watched the movie or did it take you a while to watch it? And actually, because I, I I've heard of some artists or actors who don't like to watch themselves on film. You've watched your fights, I would imagine. Uh, was it, you know, was it difficult or I weird? I don't like watching my. I don't like watching my fights immediately. I'm one of those. I'm like, I already know what I did. Because even if I knock the girl out, I know what I did wrong. I know y'all are yelling at me. But I watched the movie over and over again because it was part of post-production. So from okay, the very okay. cut, first cut, I knew I was getting sent cuts and watching and having ideas. But I watched the movie over and over. The first time I watched it in the actual then it was finished was when we premiered in Tribeca. Okay. And although it was outside, it was dope. It was on a, you know, a big screen. It was dope. But the very first time I got to watch it in a theater inside was in France, in Deauville, France, when we was in that film festival. I thought, you know, it's a regular movie theater. There's not going to be too many people. It was the biggest movie theater in the world. And every seat was filled at 10 a.m. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> that I wanted to hide, but I watched it. I watched it. And I'm very proud of it. I'm really proud of it. Okay. Okay. Hey, congratulations again, uh, Kaylee Thank Reese. You junior middleweight unified or unified junior mid welterweight yeah, i'm all over junior the place now. junior welterweight champion kaylee ko reese uh again we'll um, definitely do this again when we're not mixed up and i have a little bit more time to kind of explore everything it was amazing i love talking to you so we'll definitely do this again so we can catch up some more okay thanks sis and uh best of luck to you when this fight does get made you know i'm rooting for you thank you so much you have a good day right, and a good rest of your time thank you take Bye. care hey look um that was kaylee reese 